You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. I'm here. Aaron's here. No guests today. Uh, We're going to do a lot of Redskins. We're going to do some college hoops, too, uh, and some college football playoff rankings. Maybe get into the Kaepernick thing a little bit. Maybe get into the James Wiseman thing at Memphis a little bit. We got a lot. Uh, Sort of a a potpourri, if you will, of sports topics today, uh, which uh, I'm going to hit and Aaron's going to join in on. But before the show started just moments ago, I asked Aaron to pull two of the Bill Callahan sound bites from the Monday press conference that he held because I wanted to talk a little bit more about those two. And in the process of, of listening to those two, he played a soundbite for me that I don't think I had heard yet from Monday's press conference because I did not listen to it live. I, I sort of read the transcript and then went back and told you know Greg and then Aaron to get the sound bites that I wanted. Um, but I want to start the show with this particular soundbite from uh, the Monday Bill Callahan press conference. Uh, he was answering the following question. The question being, are you simplifying the offense for Dwayne Haskins? This is what he said. Well, there's, there's an initial core concept that we feature week in and week out. And then we branch off uh, situationally. Uh, I mentioned to you guys the other day, I mean, the, the focus that we put in practice on Wednesday, predicated on the self-scout, was all third down and red zone oriented. So we felt like we got a day better in those areas. We implemented some new things, some new protections, some new routes, uh, some new formations, take advantage of coverage. We've got some extensive work in, not only against the things that were problematic for us, but we also had two bonus days in a sense, a day against the Jets in the red zone on Wednesday and another day today, uh, you know, working against the Jet defense. So uh, I feel good where we're at. You know, we got to do better as we go move through the week and as we intensify our preparation. But I thought we had two really good practices you know, uh, at the end of, in the middle of last week and the start of this week. This guy is unbelievable. Hence, the, the reason that I nicknamed him last week on Twitter, Billabuster Callahan. This guy cannot answer a question in less than 10 seconds. Uh, it wasn't even, whatever he answered wasn't even answering the question. Who gives this much detail on everything that they're doing. We played that soundbite from a, a couple of weeks ago when he's going through the itinerary for the day. You know, from 10.15 to 10.30, we did this. From 10.30 to 10.45, we did this. This is really transparent, in my opinion. He is really taking subtle shots at the former coach, who he does not like. And the former coach does not like him either. All right? They didn't like each other. Uh, he is trying to prove to Bruce and to Dan, I know how to run a football team. I know how to run a practice. I know how to prepare a team. And he's doing that vis-a-vis these press conferences. I mean, I've never heard somebody give so much detail. It was so funny, that very first press conference he held when he said, uh, let me just tell everybody, one of the things I'm not going to do is I'm not going to start these press conferences with an injury report. You know, that's not, that's not what I do. Essentially saying, well, that's what the last guy did because that's how Jay started every press conference. And the reason he did that is because he knew he was going to be asked about all of the injured players, and he just wanted to get it out of the way. 
It was actually more efficient to do it the way Jay Gruden did it. But Callahan wanted to make it a point that he wasn't going to tell you about all these injuries, just not the way I I conduct things as a head coach. And then, by the way, three minutes later, he basically laid out the whole game plan for the Dolphins about running the football, running the football, running the football. This guy doesn't like Gruden, and he takes subtle shots at Gruden all the time. Uh, And he's also trying to prove to Bruce or to Dan what Bruce knows, and that is this guy's just much more organized than the last guy. And it's really interesting because he might be more organized than the last guy, but this guy has not scored a touchdown in three and a half games. They have not scored a touchdown in three and a half games, and his team is wretched. They're horrible. They should have lost to the Dolphins in his first game. Let's be clear on that. They were so lucky in his first game to beat the horrible Dolphins. And if Ryan Fitzpatrick had played a quarter and a half instead of one quarter, they would have lost the game. Um, good morning. Good afternoon, good evening, everybody, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, I did want to start with Callahan because, and we're going to get to some other sports news because there's a lot of it. I do want to get to the Kaepernick thing, which we will. But I, when I, when Aaron pulled up that soundbite, when we were looking for another soundbite, which I'm going to play for you, I just thought, oh my God, this is another one of those, you know, I, I'm so highly organized. Uh, we There's an initial core concept. He talks in all these, you know, these ways in which, you know, I'm sure he and Bruce speak to each other, self-scout and initial core competencies and and synergies and all the business, you know, terms that annoy people. The two of them, I'm sure, get wrapped up into those conversations. Anyway, um, that's not what I wanted to play for you, but when I heard it, I decided we'd, decided we'd start the show with that. I wanted to start with the very opening statement in Monday's press conference because I thought about it a little bit more and... It bothered me a little bit. This one, not as much as the second one I'm going to play for you, but let me play for you again the opening statement the other day from Callahan's press conference. First off, uh, the quarterback position, Dwayne Haskins will be the starter uh, for the remainder of the year. And uh, we've got a lot of confidence in Dwayne. He's worked hard. He's smart. He studies, prepares. uh, So this will be a great opportunity for him going forward. Uh, Secondly, um, Case Keenum will be the backup, and uh, Colt will be the three uh, going into this week. Oh, really? Colt's the three? Aaron, could uh, that was a tough one to figure out. I'm glad he told us that Colt was the three, because when he told us Case was the backup, we thought Colt might be the number five or six. We weren't sure if he'd move all the way up to the number three spot. So I was thinking about this yesterday, about how he – you know, announced Dwayne Haskins is going to be the starter of the remainder of the you know the remainder of the season, um, which uh, obviously was the right decision. Sean Springs, by the way, told me this morning on radio that he thinks Dan made the decision, but it's the right decision. It's one hundred percent the right decision in my view, and it's one of those decisions. And I think we talked about this yesterday. If Bruce Allen and Bill Callahan had walked into my office and I was the owner, and, and they told me that Case Keenum was going to start against the Jets, I would have told them, "No, you're not." You're going to start Dwayne Haskins. Gentlemen, we are one in eight. It is about 2020 and beyond. 
Are you telling me that Dwayne stinks so bad that we can't put him out there, that he won't allow us to evaluate the rest of the team? Because if he doesn't give us the best chance to win the game, that's not my concern anymore. My concern is we drafted him at number 15 overall. We're going to play him. We're going to start to see what we have in him. Case Keenum is not under contract for next year. And even if we want him back, there's no guarantee that he'd want to come back here. And Colt, I mean, come on, he can't do it. Um, anyway, on that soundbite, okay, you know, I guess you can announce that Case Keenum is the backup, but do you really have to mention Colt McCoy being the number three? This is another example of him taking a subtle shot at Jay Gruden. Jay loved himself some Colt McCoy. He's done it before. You know, he talked about when Case Keenum was named the starter um, for the Dolphins game, that Case was elected a team captain, you know, and, um, you know, he, he made Colt the number three right from the jump. You know, this was Haskins trying, uh, this was uh, Callahan trying to say, uh, the last guy didn't know what he was doing. But, you know, the other thing it did too is it just sort of makes Colt look bad. Like, well, why do you have to make Colt McCoy look bad? You know, and Colt will be the three going into this week. He sucks so bad, he's going to be the three this week. I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I am definitely trying to read into what is going through Callahan's mind. And as I've said before, I do consider myself to be a relatively keen observer of the human condition and the human psyche. It's what I like to do. I probably don't do it as well as I think I do it, but I know Callahan can't stand Jay Gruden. And I know a lot of this is about, you know, a lot of these lengthy answers are him. You know, that's his nature. That's how he handles things. Um, he's very analytical. He's very long-winded. He's, But a lot of it is to really prove to everybody, I know how to coach. The last guy didn't. If I haven't said this already, um, I know for – pretty much fact that after Bill Callahan's first practice as the interim head coach, he got the team together and said, gentlemen, that's how an NFL practice is conducted. That's a real NFL practice. So anyway, um, that wasn't the one I wanted to play that to mention the Colt McCoy thing, but here's the thing that I wanted to spend more time on. So he was asked about, you know, Dwayne Haskins and what he hopes to see from Dwayne over these final seven weeks. And Callahan said this on Monday. Uh, number one, progress. I think you, we want to see a consistent progression in his play. Uh, we want to expand the playbook. I think we'll do that going forward. Uh, how much? Uh, we'll see. Uh, we face an opponent this week. Uh, and Greg Williams that has a pretty big inventory of pressures and looks and disguises that he's going to have to deal with. I think it's a great challenge for him. It's a huge test, and it's a great test for Dwayne as it is for all of us. Uh, so first things first, you know, let's, uh, let's get him protected up. Let's try to run the ball and uh, you know, just feature the complimentary play around him. Feature the complimentary play around him. Get him protected up. We want to expand the playbook. I think we'll do that going forward. How much? We'll see. Um, so this is what I thought about after thinking about that particular soundbite yesterday. I, I thought, you know, why tell people that? Why say that? Why make him, why continue to sort of push this narrative that, 
you know, we know he's a work in progress. Every rookie quarterback is a work in progress, okay? But, you know, recently a lot's been reported about Dwayne, you know, not really knowing the playbook and not, you know, perhaps having the the learned it as much as he should have. There were some of those reports. You know, to me, with young people, especially in a position like Dwayne's in, the quarterback of a franchise that gets scrutinized a lot in a town in which the quarterback's a pretty big deal, and with some of the context surrounding it, you know, the head coach previously didn't want him, the football people didn't want to draft him, this was an owner pick, um, and then, you know, it wasn't a great situation probably to begin the season with Jay Gruden as the head coach. It was really idiotic when you think about it. And we said it at the time to to uh, to bring Jay Gruden back uh, this year. I mean, I wouldn't have brought back him. I wouldn't have brought back Bruce Allen out of cleaned house last January, which we've talked about many times. But, you know, then to marry up, you know, the owner's pick of a quarterback with a coach that you're telling you know, to, you're saying to him he's got to win. You know, Jay Gruden had the early comments, you know, when you draft a guy like that at 15, people are expecting to see him play, but, you know, he's not ready. He even mentioned that a guy like Drew Locke was ready. Um, you know, early on in the season, you know, it, it was it was clear that Dwayne wasn't getting reps or the number of reps that he needed to get and that, you know, Jay preferred Colt and Case much before and that this was a project. Even Callahan, you know, after becoming interim head coach, you know, said, you know, even Dwayne would admit that, you know, he's not ready to play yet at this level, that he's not ready yet. I don't know. Publicly, I think you got to be more positive now. You know, you can't be talking about, you know, we want to expand the playbook. Playbook. I think we'll do that going forward. How much? We'll see. You know, let's get them protected up. Let's try to run the ball and just feature the complementary play around him. You know, don't talk about him like he's slow, like he's a charity case. Build up his confidence. You know, you say we're really confident in Dwayne. He's ready. As far as the game plan, the concepts, our plan is to to throw out a game plan that gives us a chance to win as a team. Don't talk about him in the way in which he's like a challenge or that he's challenged. I don't want to hear that from, from the organization. You know, this is an organization that doesn't handle things well in any way, shape, or form. You know, you got this coach that's so impressed with his long-winded answers and so absolutely convinced that he's a much better coach than the last guy, you know, and probably has been pushed into this decision to play Haskins. He wants to play the guy that he thinks gives him the best chance to win. That's Keenum, even at 1-8, and eight, because he wants to prove to people that he can coach, that he can win games. You know, he couldn't – he hasn't won any yet. He beat the Dolphins. Barely. I don't know. I just want to see. I I guess I'm feeling sorry for Dwayne Haskins a little bit. You know, there are bad organizations and rookie quarterbacks, you know, guys that get drafted really high into organizations end up a lot of times in bad organizations, you know, in places that aren't ready to win, in places sometimes that aren't ready to handle, you know, the development of of a young quarterback. And this place probably isn't. You know, but you know, all of the reports in recent weeks about him, and I don't know, I liked what he did against Buffalo. I, as I said, was much more encouraged than discouraged. I feel a bit different about him after watching him briefly in preseason, briefly in relief, and then as a starter for a whole game against Buffalo than I did about him coming out. 
Um, I've heard from people that would know that while, you know, he is very much a project, that he is a really good kid. You know, I know a lot of people have had issues. Tommy obviously has had issues with, you know, Haskins and Haskins and the marketing arm, H&H, and the $50, you know, a head fee for the draft, you know, party that he had. And, you know, I've certainly referenced multiple times his comments that the league done messed up. You know, I, I get all that. Um, I just, you know, he, the people around him are so dysfunctional and so don't get it that it just bothers me and makes me feel sorry for him to a certain extent. I'm rooting for him to overcome all of that. I'm rooting for him to overcome his own interim head coach who said just two weeks ago he's not ready and even Dwayne would admit he's not ready, who said on Monday, you know, yeah, you know, we're going to expand the playbook. I think we'll do that going forward. How much? We'll see. Like, you know, we got to be careful because he can't. He barely has enough right now. It's probably too much on his plate. Build him up. Make him feel like you believe in him. I'm not suggesting you go out and give him false confidence behind closed doors. If he's not getting it done, ride him. But publicly, it's all smiles. It's all positive. It's all building him up. He doesn't need, in addition to the challenge that he's already facing, he doesn't need to hear that his coach is out there talking about, you know, we'd like to expand the playbook, you know, implying that could be a challenge with this guy. By the way, it would be a challenge with any rookie quarterback. It was a challenge with Alex Smith last year as a veteran. Build him up. Not falsely. Like, you know, I, I threw this out, example out. I, I've Many of you know this. I've coached basketball a lot for the last 25 years of my life. You know, high school level, various levels, AAU level, youth level. I'm not going to tell a kid, hey, who can't handle the ball, hey, you, you, you'd be, you know, you can play point guard for me. I'm not going to tell him that. I'm not going to build up false confidence. But I'm going to try to take every opportunity I can to focus on things that are positive to build confidence. Confidence is so important. We all know that as adults. It's so much more important in young people. Dwayne Haskins is young. You know, he needs he needs his confidence built up. Now, a lot of that will come on the field with success, in practice with success. You know, it's not going to come falsely with people just telling him how great he is. I'm not suggesting that. I am suggesting in public, though, let's be less informative about his progress if it's not great. Okay, let's not share the game plans anymore. Let's not share with, you know, everybody that it's really important to feature the complimentary play around him. Let's say that, you know what, we're confident in him. He's he's ready. He's progressed. What's our game plan? Game plan that gives us the best chance to win, which is why he's in there. All right. Um, quick word about uh, mybookie.ag. All right, do the smart thing right now if you want to bet and you don't have a guy, you don't have a place. Go to mybookie.ag. Nobody gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts, the best lines, and they are reliable. Trust me on this. There are people that you can go to out there that are not reliable. MyBookie.ag, I've done the research. All right, I wouldn't be doing this read 
if I didn't believe that mybookie.ag is a safe place to go wager for those of you that don't have a place. Go to mybookie.ag. If you use my promo code, they will double your first deposit. My promo code is KevinDC, K-E-V-I-N-D-C. They'll activate that, that offer. They'll double your first deposit. Go to mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Okay, let's talk a little bit of college basketball, Aaron, because last night there was an upset of just unbelievable size. Like Mm -hmm. Kentucky was a 25-point favorite at home as the number one team in the country playing Evansville, who was picked to finish eighth out of ten teams in the Missouri Valley Conference. And Evansville, Evansville went into Rupp Arena and beat Kentucky outright. Outright. Yep. That is an unbelievable upset last night. in college. We saw Wofford beat North Carolina a few years ago. We've seen some of these over the this, years. This is the third biggest upset Point based, spread-wise? based on spread in the past 15 years. What are the other two? Wofford uh, over Carolina? I think Wofford over Carolina. And the biggest one was uh, Gardner-Webb over Kentucky, over Kentucky in 2007. Yeah, right. Uh, at the beginning of that 2007 season. Yes. Um, so, did you watch the game? I did not. I, you know, obviously I wasn't you really on expecting. my radar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't watch the first half. I watched the second half after I saw that Evansville had a four point lead at halftime. And it was one of those games in which I really enjoy because, you know, right when I tuned in and they had this lead in the second half and I saw the way they were playing Kentucky. I was like, I don't know if they're going to win this game. I'm sure Kentucky's going to make a big run here. But, man, these dudes, they're not afraid at all. And we've seen neutral floor upsets over the years. But these are college kids that are going into Rupp Arena, all right? One of the iconic venues in all of college sports. And they're playing the number one team in the country. They were number one because they beat the number one team in the country, Michigan State, last week. First time in college uh, basketball history that uh, two number one teams have lost in November, by the way. Exactly. I I, I saw that earlier this morning. Um, What I noticed right from the jump, and what I was hoping to see was an upset. Anytime you tune into something like that, you're like, wow, this would be really cool if Evansville beats number one Kentucky on their home floor. You know, you're always, I don't know, I am. I'm always rooting for that big upset. Um, What you saw right away is you saw a team that was physical, that was fearless, that actually thought, and you could tell by the way they were playing, that they expected to win the game. And that was what was really cool about it. It wasn't flukish. It wasn't, you know, Kentucky. I'm sure Kentucky came unprepared for the game. Like, they were not fired up like they were against Michigan State. I understand that. Okay, that they didn't take Evansville seriously, but at halftime they had to take them seriously, you know. And and right right out of the gate in the second half, Evansville increases their lead, and then Kentucky makes a big run to take the lead, and immediately Evansville responds. Like they go down, I think it was two on free throws with I don't know twelve minutes to go, something like that. I think it was forty six, forty four, forty eight, forty six, something like that. And right from there, Evansville goes on a run, like a quick 5-0, 6-0 run, something like that. And they made free throws. They didn't miss free throws. Like, they weren't choking. They were. They out-rebounded Kentucky. They beat Kentucky to the ball, loose balls. They forced Kentucky into turnovers with their defense. It was really, really fun to watch. I love that in sports when you get 
eight. And by the way, this can really only happen in basketball. I know Appalachian State went into the big house, you know, and beat Michigan. And it happens occasionally in football. But in basketball, you only have 10 players on a floor, five aside. So you only really need one great player or two really good players and things to sort of go your way. And coaching's such a factor in, in, in you know, from less in the NBA, much more so in college basketball, high school basketball, and and below. Coaches can really have an influence on a game. They can control tempo. There's a lot of things they can do. Now, when you're really outmatched, there's not much you can do. It it definitely, like any sport, it's more about the Jimmys and the Joes than than the X's and the O's. All right, the old saying. It is. But in basketball, because of the limited number of players on the floor, with the things you can do at the high school level, at the college level that you can't do in the NBA, like play a pure zone, like there are things you can do to really maybe keep the score close or you know keep it a little bit different than maybe people are expecting based on a talent difference. I just loved the way Evansville played, though, against Kentucky. It was deserved. You know, it was totally deserved uh, the way they played, and they they took it from Kentucky. When Kentucky realized that they were in a ball game, they tried to play. They tried to, you know, turn it on, and they couldn't because Evansville was good. Uh, What were the free throw numbers? Because it seemed like they never missed a free throw in the game. 12 for 13 they were from the line. You know, they weren't coughing up the ball a lot. They 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 out rebounded Kentucky. All right, 38 to 35. They had 11 offensive rebounds in the game. You know, that's when you know defense rebounding. You know, you can see when teams are outmatched and, by the way, out sort of psyched, like the team is truly psyched out playing Kentucky, playing them at Rupp Arena. You see it, you know, it manifests itself in the form of turnovers and rebounding where you're, you know, sort of not confident enough and you're getting pushed around. Not that team last night. I have no idea where they will finish in the Missouri Valley. They were picked eighth out of ten teams. And the Missouri Valley's had some good teams over the years. You know, they've won some tournament games. They've made some runs, you know, over the years. So it's not a, a terrible league. You know, we're not talking about, you know, a a true, um, you know, one-bid league. The Missouri Valley, we've seen years where they've gotten two, three. I think there was one year where Gary Williams got really upset. They got more as many bids, I think, as the ACC got. You know, but we've, I mean, Loyola Chicago made the final four two, two years ago, right, Aaron? Yeah. Two years ago, they made the final four. You know, they've had good, really good teams. Northern yeah. Iowa. Yes. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, I really enjoyed watching the second half of that game last night. I thought it was really, really cool to see a team not back down. You know, a lot of the, a lot of times you go into those games and you maybe you're hanging in there the first half, and then the team's like, "All right, I mean, let's put them away." We're, we're bigger, stronger, <laughs> yeah. better. We're just gonna stop on you now. And Evansville did not back down. Uh, there is um, one thing about that game that was really interesting. At the very end of the game, um, the freshman for Kentucky that's really good. Um, oh, God, why am I blanking on his name? The point guard, who's really good. Uh, Maxi, I think is his name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he fired up a three at the end uh, to try to tie it down three and um, uh, and missed. It was an air ball. And the guy for Evansville that grabbed the rebound with about a second and a half left took one dribble and then walked towards the bench because mm-hmm. Kentucky wasn't fouling. Right. 
the travel happens with about .5 on the clock. Okay. They should have put .5 back on the clock and given Kentucky one last chance. Like I was like, whoa, and I went back and rewinded it to say to see if there was time left on the clock. There was they could have easily put .5 back on the clock. Um, anyway, uh, that was actually a lot of fun uh, to watch last night. A couple of other things before we get to the Colin Kaepernick um, story. I know you want to talk about, and I did not I did not stay up for this game. I did not stay up. I was actually tired after that game uh, and, and, and did not see the Oregon-Memphis game. Um, this or- one I did actually watch. So Oregon goes on the road as the 13th or 14th ranked team in the country, and they beat Memphis 82-74. Um, to 74. Uh, th- th- I'm sorry. Th- where was that game? That game was on it the was, neutral floor, right? It was technically neutral. It was the the PK Invitational. It was in Portland. Oh, it was in Portland. My so it, it was technically neutral, but basically a home game for Oregon. Okay, so um, the situation with James Wiseman, the freshman for uh, Memphis, who uh, is a seven foot one, seven foot two inch guy who can handle it, can shoot it. You know, projected to be one of the top two, three picks in the NBA draft. Um, in 2020, in June of 2020, um, is a very interesting situation. An NCAA investigation revealed that Wiseman was basically ineligible because Penny Hardaway, if you didn't know this, he's the coach at Memphis. And by the way, he's recruiting his ass off. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're having really good recruiting success with him as the coach there. Memphis, by the way, has some basketball history. Of course. They do. Um, So uh, Penny Hardaway... uh, gave James Wiseman's family $11,000 plus in moving expenses to move him from Nashville to Memphis so he could play on Hardaway's AAU team. The AAU team. Actually, he was a high school coach at the time. He was a high school coach at the time to play on Penny Hardaway's AAU team. Penny Hardaway was not at the time Memphis's head basketball coach. This is the summer of 2017, so within a year, within nine months, he would be. But yes, at the time he was not. But the NCAA did consider Penny Hardaway to be a Memphis booster, which is why they ruled Wiseman ineligible. Penny Hardaway had donated money to the school, had been a big donator of money to the school, and therefore that he was deemed to be a booster of the school. Well, Memphis basically has told the NCAA, you can rule him ineligible all you want. We're going to play him. And they did get um, a court order that reinstated Wiseman. Go well, ahead. Wiseman, just, just so we're, we're clear about the deals, it was Wiseman and his family who sued both NCAA and I think they actually included Memphis on the lawsuit. Okay, so the, the, the family so, and Wiseman yeah. sued to have his eligibility restored. At least to have an injunction uh, so they can you know hash it out. Basically, just so they can play through the season. Just, but, uh, but Memphis may have been invo- involved in that, in that lawsuit, but Memphis has been supportive of, yes, of Wiseman challenging the NCAA yeah. ruling. If Memphis wanted he could still they could still be sitting him but they're saying screw you to the NCAA that's right because regardless of this stay if you will the court stay allowing him to play it doesn't mean that Memphis has to play him because if Memphis and they are they are playing him um, if ultimately the NCAA's ruling um, is upheld which it could be Memphis isn't going to the NCAA tournament uh, boys and girls this year or maybe next year I don't know about the this year part. What? Why, why would you say not this year? Because, so here's... Is it too late to penalize here, him for this year? Here's the situation, and, and this is the really interesting thing about it. 
the NCAA, their, their policies is a really slow process. We've seen this over and over again. And what it, what usually happens is, all right, they say this guy is ineligible. Don't play this player. And the, for 99% of the time, the teams and the colleges say, okay, he's ineligible. We're not going to pl- play him because we don't want the punishment. At no point you can go back to Silvio D'Souza last year or any of these other players. Do they say you have to take this person off the court? The NCAA doesn't have that power. So what Kentucky, or what Memphis is doing here is saying, okay, you're saying he's ineligible. He might be ineligible. We're playing him anyways. And because you have to send us a notice of allegations, because you have to send us all of these things, because then you have to give us 60 days to respond to it, and then you have to go through with it, the earliest this is going to get settled is by the summer. So if you want to penalize us for the future, that's fine. But there's nothing you can do right now to keep us from playing this season. Okay. Um, that's that, that's a good uh, – That's a. I mean, that, that, that's probably – I, I take your word for it that it's going to take that much time. Therefore, they would have potentially the chance to play in the tournament this year. With that said, my point is is still that Memphis faces significant yes. NCAA penalties by playing him right now. And it really is, in many ways, like F you to the NCAA, but with the risk of He's playing a couple of these non-conference November games that really don't matter. They should wait to see what the ruling is. And, well, that's from from all the reporting. Uh, actually, uh, Gary Parrish from CBS has been. He's obviously in Memphis, and he's been kind of on top of this one for a while. Uh, he said that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to say, "Hey, what's the penalty going to be here?" You know, let, let's figure this out. Is, is it going to be four games? Okay, we'll sit him out. Is it going to be 15 games? Well, no, you know. And then the NCAA wouldn't give an answer to that. They just wanted to have him sit out, be ruled ineligible, and then reapply for, reapply for reinstatement, which is kind of how this usually goes. And, you know, but they wouldn't give an answer. All right, we don't know how long this will take for reinstatement. So they just what are they, what are they what are they waiting for, Aaron? Because they know they're they're familiar with the details of their allegation, and and I don't think Memphis is disputing the fact that Penny Hardaway paid his family's moving expenses to play on his AAU team. Well, it goes back to what I said: is they don't have the power to pull somebody off the court. This, this is a real test of NCAA. Power. But they have the power to, to penalize the team and. And, and, well, and, any and, penalties they and, and make them ineligible for things like the NCAA tournament. Sure, but they would have or to, limit their scholarships. They would have to right now file that. Why can't they do it right now? Because that's not how the NCAA. But what more investigate? Works. Well, I understand that they are you know an, they're, they're an incredibly slow, bureaucratic, and, well, slow group. Of you know people, what it is? Is they're but, used to these teams, these schools uh, listening to them. Yeah, We're, they're used to saying, "Hey, this guy's ineligible. You need to rule him ineligible now and file with us." for reinstatement. This is what you need to do because, quite frankly, up to this point, that's how it's always happened. But more times than not, it's because there's more investigating to do. More times than not, there is. it's because the NCAA needs to you know, complete their investigation or continue their investigation and come up with the findings. They've already done that. Yes. And Memphis isn't debating it. Re- Memphis, now, Memphis might debate whether or not Penny Hardaway should be labeled as a booster or Well, not. sure. I mean, that's, that's actually probably one of the problems is Memphis could very easily challenge that Penny Hardaway is a booster. He hadn't give, given money to the 
school in nine years before that. It was a one-time donation to build the Hall of Fame. And, which, and that was nine years ago? That was in 2008. And that's the last time that he gave money to the school? So that's that's the big thing. That's when he was it, labeled a booster. Yeah, I, I don't know what the definition I, of a booster is if it means it has to be financial right. um, uh, you know, participation because exactly. somebody that's, like Penny Hardaway could certainly challenge. be a booster without giving a dime obviously, he could help in recruiting. You know, yeah. Yes, obviously he could very easily be labeled a booster. But what this really is coming down to, and, it, and it's interesting that it's coming at a time with, you know, everything going on around the NCAA with the possibility of players being able to be paid as, you know, they, they said they were open to the idea once all of these, rule, uh, you know, lawmakers are passing things in various states. This is really testing the power of the NCAA and, and in a way that we've never really seen it challenged before. Because actually at this point, before they could even pass down the notice of allegations to the team, they would have to fight this court case. They have they have to go to court against Wiseman, which apparently is happening on Monday, I believe. But, you know, you then have here's here's what it really comes down to. You have the 60 days to respond to the notice of allegations. Let's say they put it out on Monday. You then have to go through hearings. So the earliest this could be resolved would maybe be early February, and that's if everything goes to plan for the NCAA quickly. And I just I think they could push it back far enough to at least April or May, honestly. Who do they? I'm looking at their schedule, like the games that they have coming up. They, the Oregon game is a big non-conference game. Uh, they play in Mississippi, NC State, at Tennessee. Yeah, that, that's their big one other than Oregon. Yeah, and then you get into the whole conference um, play for them. Georgia's not easy. It's not necessarily a tough one, but. He's recruiting, by the way. Um, the former Indiana coach. Who's at Georgia now? He's he he's huh, yeah yeah. Uh, he's got a couple of big. Oh yeah, names they just headed. signed the number one player, I believe. Yeah. Um, real quickly on the college football rankings because I watched the show last night and um, LSU, you know, not surprisingly jumped Ohio State after their win at Alabama. So Ohio State's two, uh, LSU's one, Ohio State's two, Clemson's three, Georgia was in at four. I think we both guessed. Maybe did we yesterday? I forget. Uh, if that was I, with you. you. You didn't bring it up on. Uh, I guessed Alabama was going to remain at four. I thought Georgia would, but the thing about Georgia is they're going to lose again. So where they are right now doesn't necessarily matter. Um, they might lose again. I, and if, <laughs> they if might they don't, not. If they don't, it doesn't matter where they are right yeah, now gonna, because they won be the lost SEC champ is in the playoff yeah. anyways. I mean, Georgia, you know, has the you know the win over Notre Dame. They've got the win over Florida. They've got two big wins. Alabama doesn't have one quality win. Now, Alabama's loss to LSU is a better loss than South Carolina. Uh, the Georgia loss to South Carolina. Um, but, you know, all of this right now, obviously, isn't as significant as where it's going. And that's where I want to try to predict where it's going. So um, a couple of things on on this. Uh, Alabama. Alabama needs help. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Alabama can't just win out and they're in. You know, they need Georgia to lose to LSU now or to Auburn this week. They play Auburn this week. Um, that has to happen for Alabama to get in. I also believe that the Pac-12 champion, um, if if the Pac-12 champion has one loss, then the Pac-12 champion better be Utah and not Oregon. Because I think Oregon 
will be will beat out Alabama for the fourth spot because their only loss came to Auburn. Now you'll get into a comparison if Alabama runs the table. How did Alabama beat Auburn and Oregon lost Auburn? Did Alabama have a close game with Auburn or did they beat them by four touchdowns and Oregon didn't even beat them? But Oregon would be a one-loss conference champion at that point and Alabama would be a one-loss non-conference champion without really with only one true quality win at that point and a real weak non-conference schedule. I do think Alabama might trump Utah, although I will tell you that the eye test for me says that both Oregon and Utah are both really good. Are they better than Alabama? Probably not. Probably not. So that's going to play into this too. But I think Oregon beats out Alabama as a one-loss Pac-12 champion. Georgia clearly beats out Alabama as an SEC champion. You know, uh, if they beat Auburn, go to the SEC title game and beat LSU. LSU, if they win out, okay, and they have games against Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Texas A&M, they can lose the SEC title game and they're still in. Yes. The SEC title game will be meaningless to LSU other than a championship and a conference championship. And seeding. And seeding. Um, but they're in if they win out in the regular season the rest of the way. In fact, they're in if they get upset once in the final three games and then win the SEC title because of their four signature wins at this point. And they would have a fifth at that point in that particular scenario. But they beat Texas. They beat Florida. They beat Auburn. They beat Alabama. All right? Their, their resume is the strongest by far. Um, so Bama needs Georgia to lose, and they probably need the Pac-12 champion to either have two losses or the Pac-12 champion to be Utah with one loss. I do think Alabama gets in over a one-loss Oklahoma. I think Alabama gets in over a one-loss, you know, uh, Penn State, um, a one-loss Baylor, you know, if obviously. or And actually, a more interesting situation would be, what if Baylor runs the table? They're not going to do it. But what if they do and they're undefeated? I don't think that's it. I think you have to put Baylor in in that case. They're not setting the precedent of leaving out an undefeated. A, an undefeated, a big a Power 5 yes. conference champ. Yeah. And at that point, Baylor would have beaten Oklahoma not once, but potentially twice. You could make the case that if that was the case, Baylor would have a better resume than Clemson. You would be able to make that case. Yeah. You know, Clemson's non-conference schedule isn't terrible. They, you know, they had Texas A&M on it. They, sure. You know, they finished with South Carolina. When they had this schedule early in the year, the Syracuse game actually looked, at the time, like a big game. Um, but, yes, Baylor would beat out Alabama, too, as an undefeated team. Um, would, would Ohio State, as a one-loss team and a loser to Minnesota in the Big Ten title game, and Minnesota being undefeated, would they lose that to Ohio State? I, that one's just so hard to fathom. Ohio State would own at that point. Let's just say they've got a win over Penn State, a win over Mi- Michigan to end this season. They would have a, they would have a win over Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I think Ohio State is a one loss team as a conference championship losing team would get in over Bama. I do. That that would be a really fascinating look through. All right, let's let's get to what to me is more practical. Yes, Minnesota's not going to just lose once; they might lose twice down the stretch. To Iowa, where they're an underdog. I was going to say they're not even and favored this week. Yeah, they're not even favored this week, and they'll, they won't be favored against Wisconsin either. More likely than not, very possible that Wisconsin's in the Big Ten title game against Ohio. 
Ohio State in a rematch than Minnesota. Um, also, uh, Auburn uh, Baylor's not winning out. Okay, Baylor's not going to beat Oklahoma twice. They're a fourteen and a half point underdog this week, I think, to Oklahoma. I don't see that happening. Um, I see LSU, Ohio State, Clemson as near locks. Could Clemson lose? I don't know. To whom? I mean, who are they going to lose to? Um, Is Ohio State going to lose to Penn State or Michigan or Minnesota or Wisconsin? I don't think so. Is LSU going to lose twice? Because that's pretty much what it would require now. No. So those three teams are as near to locks right now. It could happen. We've seen it happen before. So we're talking about the fourth team in the field. I think it's going to be Oregon. I think Oregon's going to run the table, and I think they're going to win the Pac-12 championship game, although I would give Utah a real chance in that Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, that's going to be a short line there. That's that's a – I'm not going to say a toss-up game, but it's close to it. Utah, I've watched enough this year. I've bet on them enough or against them enough. Where I've watched them, they are really, really good. They are a top three to five defensive team in America and well-coached, really well-coached. They play UCLA this week. Um, They have to play a game at Arizona. They play Colorado, and then they would play, more likely than not, Oregon, who has left Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State. In that rivalry game, Oregon State's one of the real improved teams in the country this year. They were so horrible last year. They are four and five. I think they're three and three in the Pac-12 um, that would be an interesting, you know, the, the game is in uh, Eugene, so it's at Oregon uh, to end the year. I'm not giving Oregon State a great chance to win. I'm just saying Oregon State's got a couple of, of interesting wins. Like they, they, they crushed UCLA. They were, were close uh, in a loss to Washington last week. Um, anyway, uh, Oregon would be my fourth team. I think I threw this out to you before, but just one other thing just to keep in mind that I think would be very interesting. I give Auburn a chance at home against Georgia this week, and I give Auburn a chance at home against Bama in the Iron Bowl at the end of the year. If Al- if Auburn were to win out, and their two losses were to Florida and LSU, and because at that point then Alabama's got two losses, Georgia's got two losses, so they're out. Okay, assume Minnesota isn't an undefeated team. Assume Penn State doesn't run the table. They lose to Ohio State, et cetera. Um, Baylor loses. Then it would come down to, listen closely, Oregon or the Pac-12 champion. It would be more interesting if it's Oregon here, and I'll tell you why in a second. Yeah, I'm sure you can oh, yes. figure out yes. why. I know exactly um, why. It could come down to Oklahoma, Oregon, And yes, Auburn would be in the conversation at that point because they would have just beaten Georgia and Bama, and they would own a win over Oregon head-to-head. Right. Now, the Oklahoma thing, if Oklahoma's a one-loss Big 12 champion, probably then gets in the way of that. You know, even though I think Auburn probably would beat Oklahoma. I I think the more interesting scenario is if you take Oklahoma out of the picture, if they lose – you know, one of the games and get out of the picture and it's just Oregon and Auburn head-to-head. Because then I think you have it – because I think if you have Oklahoma as the out, I think you go with Oklahoma and it just so – Maybe. Know, just No, no. If you're, if you're right, let's just say they lose to either lose Baylor the or they beat Baylor. Baylor and lose the Big 12 championship – or they lose to Oklahoma State. Yeah. You know, in, Be- in the Bedlam sure. game. Um, if, if that happens, yeah. The, can you imagine if it comes down to Oregon, a Pac-12 champion with one loss – or a two-loss Auburn who just beat Georgia and Bama 
to end this season, I think Auburn would end up with the second or either the first or second hardest schedule in America. They would own wins over teams like Texas A&M, uh, Georgia, and, and Alabama, and Oregon. Or would you go with Oregon? That would be a really interesting conversation at that point. The other team that would jump into the conversation at that point, believe it or not, even though they wouldn't have the wins over Georgia and Alabama, but Florida would be sitting there with two losses saying, what about us? We beat Auburn. Yeah. Though, you know? as you said, at some point, it's just like, all right, you don't have the resume <laughs> to be involved you wouldn't in this have, conversation. They, they wouldn't have the same resume, but you know what you, they would have? They would have the eye test. Oh, they definitely because, have the eye test. Because their loss, their loss at LSU, which may be the closest game LSU plays all year. Well, it's not because of the Bama game, Bama getting the late score. Um they lost at LSU in a game that they were tied in at the end of the third quarter without their two best defensive players on the field. Florida was. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right. Uh, let's get to Colin, Ka- Colin Kaepernick after I tell you that we have an app now. If you want to listen to us on the Kevin Sheehan Show app, it's available uh, on on your iPhone in the App Store or in the Google Store on your Android. Uh, you get my Twitter feed. You get our Facebook uh, and Twitter feeds for the show. Um, and the shows are sitting there for you. Uh, when you when you click on your app, the show will be up. All of the old shows you have access to. Same thing that you've got via any of the podcast platforms or the website. But I did want to let you know that we have that app available. Um, it's really easy to use. We've gotten pretty good feedback on it. All right, let's get to this Colin Kaepernick story. So yesterday, um, the NFL informed Colin Kaepernick and his representatives that he would be worked out and interviewed in Atlanta on Saturday by all NFL teams that decided to make the trip. All right, The NFL set up this session, an on-field workout and an interview for Colin Kaepernick, for all NFL teams to be invited to to watch live. And then the NFL would also provide a video of the workout and interview for teams that couldn't make it. Um, I guess that... Kaepernick and his representatives have been pushing the NFL, pushing teams to work them out. Like, just work me out. I'm in great shape. I'm ready to play. Just work me out. Recently, Kaepernick's representatives had sent the the league a note saying they've gotten little to no response from all 32 teams. As everybody knows, Kaepernick's been out of the NFL now since the end of the 2016 season. That was the season that he began protesting police brutality towards uh, young African-American uh, males in particular, racial injustice. Uh, he had been protesting those things by kneeling during the pregame national anthem. We know that whole story. Um, in the memo, by the way, the league said yesterday that earlier this year we discussed some possible steps with Colin Kaepernick's representatives, and they recently emphasized his level of preparation and that he's ready to work out for clubs and be interviewed by them. We have therefore arranged this opportunity for him to work out and for all clubs to have the opportunity to evaluate his current readiness and level of interest in resuming his NFL career, closed quote. Kaepernick responded on Twitter saying, I'm just getting word from my representatives that the NFL league office reached out to them about a workout in Atlanta on Saturday. I've been in shape and ready for this for three years. Can't wait to see the head coaches and GMs on Saturday. That last line, by the way, um, I think he is saying that because he knows a lot of head coaches and GMs probably won't be there on Saturday 
Why, you ask? Well, NFL teams that travel and play road games on Sunday are traveling on Saturday. And home teams are moving into a hotel to begin their preparation for the home game. Just so you know, players don't stay in their own places the night before a home game. They go to a hotel and they spend it as a team with team meetings and team preparation exercises and team meals and everybody together, you know, so they can bed check them the whole nine yards. Um, So this workout on Saturday, basically Kaepernick and his reps later on, according to ESPN, said, hey, can we do this on a Tuesday? That's when most workouts happen. In fact, every single Tuesday. And I've been at the park. I've been at Redskins Park when I've seen familiar faces walking into the building, you know, after doing a radio show out there over the years. You know, wow, that's uh, such and such. He played for, I'll give you you one of my my all-timers. I'm sitting there, you know, in my radio studio. We just finished the show on a Tuesday, and Jamarcus Russell is walking in the front door. I'm like, what's Jamarcus Russell doing here? Well, it's a Tuesday. He was out of the league, and the Redskins were working him out. John Lucas, by the way, was his representative, mm-hmm. and had brought him in because um, he had had all those problems right. with, uh, you know, prescription drugs, et cetera. But NFL teams, you know, on the NFL players' day off, they get one day off a week during the season. It's Tuesday. That's when they work players out. They work players out because they've had injuries and they, they intend on signing somebody, or they're just working players out in the event that they have a need down the road. So the NFL said no to the Tuesday. Right? They said no. Uh, it's this Saturday. What about next Saturday, Kaepernick's representatives asked the league? Nope, it's going to be this Saturday. So the whole thing sort of reeks a little bit to begin with, and I started thinking, you know, what is this about? What is the league trying to accomplish here? And I came up with three reasons, basically. You know, first of all, the league, you know, may be concerned about another lawsuit. Remember they settled the collusion suit with both Kaepernick and Reed, Eric Reed, um, that was settled. Uh, the, the the two players uh, were paid a, a sum of money. You know, I don't know. I forget what the exact sum of money was, but um, that thing was settled. Could there be another lawsuit? Could, you know, could there be something else with? I don't. I don't know. We're, is the league concerned that teams aren't working them out and that they are still being viewed as colluding together to blackball this particular player? Um, I, that may be a reason. The second reason I thought of was this. Remember last year when the Redskins lost two quarterbacks to broken legs and they weren't bringing in Kaepernick and they were criticized, like especially when they worked out and signed Mark Sanchez Mm -hmm. and especially when we saw Sanchez play and how bad he was. Well, especially coming right off or right around the Reuben Foster signing as well. Right. Exactly. It was right around then too. Um you know, this is the time of year where teams, you know, have injuries and then they are forced to work quarterbacks out, bring them in, you know, even as backups. Like Detroit's going through something right now with Matt Stafford. I don't know what his, his the prognosis is, but apparently he had a couple of broken bones in his back and played with that uh, against the Raiders uh, two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. And then Jeff Driscoll started the game on Sunday in Chicago. Um, but I was thinking that, you know, that Mark San- Sanchez situation – you know, maybe they can sort of 
cover themselves a little bit to say, hey, we had this workout. All 32 of our teams had a chance to work them out and interview them. We gave them the opportunity. How can you say that you know we're not giving them an opportunity when you know uh, a, a team like Detroit, you know, next week after that, let's just say they put Matt Stafford on injured reserve and they end up signing you know you know Luke McCown or Josh McCown or somebody like that or Josh Johnson, you know? So maybe they're you know trying to protect themselves here as we get late in the season from a situation like that. Then there's something else that I thought of, and that is. That, you know, teams have been treading lightly on this. Let's just say it would not surprise me if there are teams that have said, you know, we could bring in Kaepernick for a workout. He's a hell of a lot better than the guys that we're thinking about signing to back up such and such. Or, you know, because we had an injury here and we're going to start the backup and now we need a new backup. But, you know, do we want to be, you know, the guinea pig? Do we want to be the one team that works them out? Do we want to go against the rest of our league, you know, and be the team to work them out? Maybe the NFL is taking the teams off the hook. They're basically, maybe it's somewhat disingenuous, you know, but here's your chance, you know, Colin Kaepernick, to show everybody how ready you are. And here's your chance, the couple of teams in our league that have, express some interest but have been hesitant because they don't want to be the only one this is your chance to say hey you know we weren't the only one that worked him out all 32 teams saw his workout you know um anyway uh here's the thing my guess is and Stephen A. Smith this morning I guess reported that he's going to be signed barring an absolute horrendous workout or a horrendous interview you know um and who knows what he's going to say in the interview? Because you know he's going to get asked, right? He's going to get asked, are you going to continue your protest? Are you going to continue to kneel during the national anthem? You know, I'm curious to know what that answer would be. But um, I don't think he's going to get signed. Like, if they were really trying to create an environment for him to get signed, they would have said, work out on Tuesday. Or, you need another week, we can do it a week from Saturday. They don't seem to be very accommodating beyond this weird thing that they're setting up on Saturday in Atlanta, which is unprecedented. You, you know, t- players show up at, uh, on Tuesdays to teams all around the league. Agents and players are requesting workouts all the time, hundreds of them, I'm sure, every week, if not thousands. I don't know, hundreds seems more likely where teams are getting pressed by agents. Hey, my guy, he's in great shape. You just lost your left tackle. You just lost your tight end. He wants to come in and work out for you. And they're saying either yes or no. You know, rarely do you have the league step in and create a workout environment. I'll be interested to see how many teams show up live. You know, how many, uh, I can tell you this, coaches aren't showing up for this workout unless they're in Atlanta. Does Atlanta play at home this week? Do the Falcons play at, at home this week? Uh, but- no, they play at Carolina this week. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, the, the blackballing thing, the, you know, the collusion thing, to me has always been a hard sell for me from this perspective. First of all, I understand um, his, his, his protest. You know, this was a reasonable protest, more than reasonable. He, it also, at the time, you know, if you recall and you, you think of all of the times over the last... 10, 12 years, Ferguson, Baltimore, all of them, where it's been front and center. You know, it was not a, 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 a situation that people in America were unfamiliar with. 
You know, he wasn't bringing this to everyone's attention. This has been a conversation in America for a long, long time, and it, and it should be, and it, could, it should continue to be. You know, the conversation about, you know, uh, uh, police brutality towards young African, African-American men in particular. But I, at the time, I remember thinking, hey, Colin, we're familiar with this situation. It dominates the news three to four times a year because of various incidents. You know, this is, and by the way, it's not an incident. It's not a situation in which many people are like, oh, I'm for the brutality of young African American men. Most people are against it. With that said, about the collusion thing, this has been about business from my perspective. You know, if you're a team and you don't think Colin Kaepernick is a starter, why would you bring him on as a backup when it is potentially bad business? And when I say potentially, it was bad business for the league in a lot of markets. Whether you believe this to be true or not, and I don't, I don't think that Colin Kaepernick was anti-American or anti-military or anti, you know, that he was unpatriotic. I did not feel that way when he was kneeling for the anthem. All right. I know what he was trying to do. First of all, he has the right from a First Amendment standpoint. You know, freedom of, uh, freedom of speech does not mean freedom of consequence, as we know. Private uh, employers can do whatever they want. You can say whatever you want. They can also, you know, uh, dole out some consequences however they deem uh, to be uh, right for their business. And the NFL took a bit of a hit with this kneeling for the anthem. It did. So I don't know if it was straight collusion, like we don't want this guy in our league anymore, uh, versus or as a, uh, versus what I think was factual, three, two, one, sorry, versus, you know what? He's not good business for us. We are in a market where people are going to be upset about this. Our customers are going to be upset about this, and our customers are going to stop paying us to see our product because of it. Maybe not all of them, but all, you know, if it's some, we don't want that for a backup quarterback. Michael Vick's a different situation. Michael Vick, he was a starter. A lot of people thought he could start again. A lot of NFL teams don't believe that Colin Kaepernick is a starter. I certainly believe he's a backup at the very least. Tommy always says, is the juice worth the squeeze? It's something he always refers to when considering, you know, um, the upside and downside to things. And I think that what NFL teams have done here over the last three years is they have said, you know what, if he's a backup, It's not worth the squeezing. The amount of attention, the negative attention, the business, the potential business impact, not worth it. With Michael Vick, there was a chance. uh, And the two situations aren't apples to apples, okay? It was dogfighting and that he went to the state penitentiary for, what was it, a year and a half? Something like that. I forget how long Michael Vick was in prison for. Um, He had also sort of paid his dues to society. um, But... Uh, Andy Reid and other teams, too, they were taking a big risk, a business risk, but they thought he could start, and they thought he could be Michael Vick again. I think with Colin Kaepernick, it has always been a conversation um, within the league uh, specific to teams who have said, 
He probably should be our backup versus the guy we have. But is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the business impact, is the negative attention we may get, especially in certain NFL markets? You know, every NFL market's different with respect to the demographic makeup of their fan base, uh, to the, you know, just the the psychological makeup of their fan base. You know, in some markets, you know, patriotism runs really high and higher than it does in other markets. And so there may be more risk in a market in the Midwest than there is perhaps on one of the coasts. But anyway, um, I think that ultimately, the, the I don't believe that the NFL sent out a memo or the NFL got together with all of its owners and said, no one is to sign Colin Kaepernick. I actually don't believe that. What I do believe is that each individual team decided he can't start for me and it's just not worth, him, worth it to bring him in as a backup. So anyway, that's my thoughts. Uh, I am going to be interested, though, to see which teams show up, who shows up for the teams, and whether or not you know he has a workout that really wows somebody and makes somebody believe that it's totally worth it now, you know, three years after the fact, um, to put him on their roster as either a backup or maybe you know I'm just looking at uh, the teams around the league. I mean, the the Stafford situation right now is the most dire in terms of a team that maybe still thinks. It has a chance to compete. Um, but really, Aaron, what other teams have quarterback issues right now? Indianapolis? You know, what's the, what, what is the Brissett situation? You know, uh, I mean, it seems like he's at least questionable for this week. Right. So at most, I think it would be one more week. I don't think he's out for a long period of time, but who Den- knows? Denver's got that situation going on, but they're not very good. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Should be interesting this weekend. Wanted to finish up the show with this. Um, I was thinking about the Monday night game, uh, the Seattle-San Francisco game, which, by the way, was a great game. It's a really, really entertaining game. But did you know that that was the first sellout since the first game at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara for the 49ers? That the 40, It was the largest crowd to see a 49ers home game at that new stadium in Santa Clara. And um, I was just wondering as I was watching that, and by the way, it was an electric atmosphere. You could hear Tessator and Booger McFarlane referring to what a great crowd it was. You could hear how loud it was in certain situations. And, you know, the 49ers have stunk, you know, in recent seasons. They've been terrible, you know, and they there are a lot of similarities to the Redskins. They're not direct apples-to-apples comparisons, okay? The Redskins organization is worse. I understand that. And the 49ers have been to three conference championship games and a Super Bowl in this decade alone with Jim Harbaugh. So I do understand that. Um, but, you know, Jed York is not, you know, uh, is, is not beloved by the fan base out there. They've had a lot of dysfunction in that organization since Harbaugh left. Tom Sula was the coach. Chip Kelly was the coach for a year. You know, before this season, they were 4-12 in 2018, 6-10 in 2017, 2-14, 5-11, you know, in the two years before that. You know, they're a proud franchise with a with a, a fan base that, you know, is loyal. They've got a new stadium that's much further south and much further away than from where, from where their old stadium was. You know, it's down nearly in San Jose, you know, much 
much further from San Francisco. It's 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 the Bay Area. You know, San Jose, north to San Francisco, if you spent time out in the Bay Area, it's all the Bay Area, but it's much further away, much further south than Candlestick Park was. You know, for a lot of the people that live in San Francisco or live north of San Francisco or live on the other side of the Bay Bridge, you know, in, in Oakland and in Hayward and in Pleasanton and in Walnut Creek and Livermore and all those places over there. I know those areas because I spent a lot of time in the Bay Area in the 90s. A lot of time. I love that area, by the way. It's probably one of the only, it's one of two or three cities in this country that I'd pref- that I would have lived in willingly other than the one I live in and have lived in here in D.C. But but anyway, you know, not total, you know, perfect uh, comparisons with one another, but, you know, a franchise whose fan base didn't love the owner, had a lot of dysfunction with coaches, had a bunch of, you know, losing seasons in a row, had a new stadium that wasn't, you know, pleasing to everybody in the fan base, wasn't convenient. And I'm sitting there watching Monday night and just thought, man, what winning does, you know, 8-0, the place is packed. The place is electric. 49er fans are all fired up. And while I know that it would be a near miracle to expect that maybe a year or two two from now that the Redskins hire their own version of John Lynch, who hires his, you know, a version of Kyle Shanahan. You know, they draft some players, they add some players, they're well coached, they get off to a seven and one start, and and here we are. I know that that seems so distant now and like it would be a miracle. But my point is this, if it did happen, all of you who have said you've checked out for good, you'd all be back. Cause a lot of 49er fans were fed up with Jed York, fed up with the organization, fed up with the losing. And they all came back Monday night and provided the best environment that that new stadium has had in front of a sellout overflow crowd. They have great home games left, Aaron. They still they, That Packers game did get flexed to Sunday night. I don't know if you saw it. The Packers 49ers game, I talked about it being up against, you know, they, they had two 4.25 p.m. starts on the Fox doubleheader week in two weeks on November 24th. Cowboys, Patriots, Packers, Niners. And I predicted the Packers, Niners would get flexed and Seattle, Philly would move back to 1 o'clock. That was the scheduled Sunday night game. And the league announced that yesterday. So they got a, another they got a Sunday night game against the Packers at home. They have a game that also yesterday got got flexed to Saturday, December 21st against the Rams in primetime. You know, that place is buzzing. They're excited about it. They lost the game, but they're still 8 and 1. If the Redskins ever, you know, turned it around and Snyder got rid of all of this riffraff at the top, you know, starting with Bruce Allen and hired some really good, you know, out-of-the-box GM, gave him the autonomy. He hired a good coach, and the Redskins had a, a, a good team, and they started off 7-1 or 8-0. I think all of you would be back. I had a caller tell me this morning, so Kevin, I'm like a lot of your friends that you've talked about before who claim they're never coming back. They're, they've checked out. They've moved on with their lives. Redskin games on Sundays aren't that important to them. They're not going to be important. They don't want to see Snyder succeed. I just think that if they started 8-0 in two years, that all of you people would be back. It's football. And, you know, taking it a step further, I know there's been tremendous excitement, and I so enjoyed October the Nats World Series win. And the Caps winning the Cup two years ago, a lot of buzz in town around that. 
just understand this. If the Redskins started out off 8-0 and had a Monday night game against Dallas, you know, a division rival, it would dwarf in terms of interest level what we just saw in October and what we saw two years ago in the Stanley Cup. It would. It would in most cities because NFL is king. But in the cities where NFL's been king and their teams have had you know, loyal, rabid fan bases, and it's not as loyal anymore, I understand. It's, it's eroded in a significant way. They'd all be back. All would be back, just like they were for RG3 in 2012. Had a star player, and they got to the playoffs in the Seattle game, a wild card game, you know, three games away from the Super Bowl, did a 50 on television. You couldn't get a ticket to that game. That was one of the most sought. That and the week before against the Cowboys for the division title were the two most difficult tickets we've seen at FedEx Field maybe ever. Now, RG3 was a star, you know, like we haven't had, at least in that moment he was. But anyway, uh, watching Monday night just made me think, hmm, could the Redskins ever do what the 49ers are doing here? Because the 49ers... You know, they did have the Harbaugh years, but when Harbaugh left, you had some lean years and a lot of questions about ownership and dysfunction and a lot of things going on in that organization. And now, that, now unfortunately, they got the guy that should have been the Redskins coach after Mike retired. Kyle should be the coach here. But ownership and front office are too stupid to see, you know, real talent uh, on a coaching uh, staff when it's right there in front of them. And that's why Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur and everybody else is off doing different things and succeeding in other places and not succeeding here. Hey, but we got Jay Gruden for five and a half years. That was awesome. And now we got old man Callahan for at least another seven games. All right. uh, Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to all of you. Back tomorrow with Tommy.